Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this edition of the Players NIL Podcast. My special guest today is Quint Hesnick. Quint, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here on this uh, beautiful snow day in the middle of February. I just realized I caught you on one of your few days off of the year, so we appreciate you joining us. And for our audience, uh, just so you know, Quint was a uh, four-time All-American goalie at Johns Hopkins Lacrosse, a two-time National Goalie of the Year, a national champion. He's in the Long Island and Baltimore U.S. Lacrosse Hall of Fame. Quint, your background is in lacrosse specifically, but your career has gotten you to be part of lots of different sports around the country. But we always start our podcast with how did you get started? Where did you get started? Who were the people that influenced you? And so you grew up on Long Island, hotbed of sports, especially in your generation. I uh, did some research and I realized you have two older brothers, which I'm sure that created chaos inside and outside of the house. But what was neighborhood sports like on Long Island growing up? What sports did you play? Well, it's very community based. You know, my two older brothers were six and eight years older than I was. So I was always playing up in the backyard or in the streets. Uh, I have a younger sister who's uh, one, one class uh, below me. But my, my dad was a, a multi-sport coach at Oceanside High School growing up. So I was around the game from, you know, from the time I was, you know, pre-kindergarten age. I was at summer training camp for, for football in the wrestling room during the winter. Uh, and, and then lacrosse was something that was big in my town. Uh, we had a really strong rec program, which was cheap and everyone played. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, you were playing in the, for the middle school and for the high school, uh, wrestling was my initial passion and my, what I was most successful at probably until I was, I don't know, in 11th grade or so. Uh, and so I always thought I'd be, a, be a wrestler in college. Uh, but as it turned out, lacrosse became, uh, a vehicle for me to, you know, attend a school, Johns Hopkins, which I probably had no right going to if it wasn't for for athletics. Um, and so so that's that's my background. But, you know, it's it's interesting how it's come full circle. I started off as a multi-sport athlete when I was a senior in high school. I played soccer and football, wrestled and played lacrosse. And now I find myself in what I do in my coverage of college football, uh, a little bit of NFL draft, college lacrosse. Uh, have done some hockey in the past. We'll do the NCAA wrestling tournament. I, I, it feels like it's full circle. Like I'm, like I'm again, I'm a multi-sport athlete. Yeah. What were the the kids like on the in the neighborhood? Were you playing stickball in the street, kickball? Were you playing basketball in someone's driveway? Where did you oh, get yeah. your? Where, where did the competitiveness come from? Uh, I, 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 well, we lived on bikes back then. You know, we'd we'd, we'd book around book around the neighborhood. Uh, you know, the competitiveness came from my parents. My mom is a fierce card player, uh, and and my while well, my dad may have appeared to be the most intense, it was it's my mom still to this day with my daughter. She she refuses to lose. She refuses. Uh, you know, she she's the type of grandmother that doesn't let a four year old beat her in any any kind of game. Like, and so so that's how I grew up. Nothing came easy. I mean. The first time I took down my older brother in a wrestling match was the last time we wrestled. Uh, and that was when I was a junior in high school. So you go your whole life getting beat up by your brothers. You finally score a two point takedown. And that's the end of that competition forever. So there were very, very little successes in, in, in you know, playing the backyard, playing goalie. If I wanted to play with my older brother and their friends, I had to get in the goal. Uh, and that was the only way I could play with them. So, 
So here you are, six, eight, ten years old, playing against high school kids, uh, but you're just excited to be part of it instead of you know inside watching from the window. I have this theory, having been around thousands of high-level athletes, college, collegiate, and professional, and that is behind almost every successful athlete is a competitive mom. I, I believe that that's true. Yeah, and my mom, she's been an amazing support system for me. She she's she never shows that externally, and and uh, now I realize the stress I put her through for being a goalie. You know, goalie moms have have it real rough. But I, I never I never um, I never felt any any pressure or stress from her. All I know is that when she plays games, she likes to win, uh, and and I think she she enjoyed and she expected me to win uh, uh, most of the games that I played. I do in my research, I saw uh, a story about you losing your last wrestling match in high school. And I could see on your face and I could hear in your voice how that impacted your life. How did it change your competitive spirit? Well, I, you know, I lost uh, my junior year. I lost in the, in the Section 8 finals. Well, I actually won the final. I won. Uh, Mike Bevilacqua, who was a wrestler, slammed me on my head. So I won by by default. Uh, we, we let Mike, my dad and I decided that it would be best if Mike wrestled in the States and he ended up winning the New York state championship, uh, and getting a scholarship based on that to Penn state. Uh, at that time, I, th I think we felt that lacrosse was going to be my path. The next year I come back and I, and I, I won the section eight championship and then, uh, lost in, lost in the state in the, in the first round in a match that I really should have won. I controlled it. I was winning three to two and sat on my lead. Uh, and a wrestler from, I think he was from Horseheads, uh, reversed me with 18 seconds to go in the match and I couldn't get out and I lost and my whole wrestling career was poof gone. Uh, the difference for me in lacrosse was there was never a last game, you know, even when I was in college, like I was going to play, um, whether it was indoor or club, even when I was in club, there was always a next season, a next game. And so I never felt the finality of 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 that but the wrestling has stuck with me I, I don't have any bad dreams about lacrosse I still get bad dreams about that wrestling match because it's a match I should have won it's a match that I mismanaged it's a match that I held on to a lead instead of trying to extend the lead uh, it's a match that I settled for a tempo that wasn't to my advantage I should have been pushing the tempo that whole match I should have been letting this this wrestler up and taking him down repeatedly uh, and and because of that, I took a mindset into lacrosse after that that I was gonna that I was gonna attack. That uh, regardless of the result, I was going to be the most aggressive that I could be. That I was gonna regardless of the score. That I'm gonna make plays. I'm gonna go for it. Uh, if I make mistakes, so what? But we're gonna play on my terms. And and that's how I always played lacrosse after that wrestling match. Uh, and and that kind of set set a. Uh, it just just set set me mentally up to to compete and and uh it was it was a horrible loss and and i learned from it yeah well you know as i have shared with people the first principle of our business is how do you use athletics to better your life and i think that's a great story because you took from that loss things that have i'm going to say propelled you to where you are and still haunt you today in a good way in terms of how you attack life and what you do to be successful. You used athletics to get an opportunity to go to Johns Hopkins, one of the premier academic institutions in the country, and athletically one of the top lacrosse programs of all time, if not the top lacrosse program of all time. There, you met great athletes. 
You played for great coaches. You competed against great competitors. What are some of the takeaways from your college lacrosse experience? I think uh, for me now, looking back at it, like there's, there's three things that stand out. You know, I, I, I worked really hard uh, even for that era. Uh, I, I, we, there were a couple guys in the team who I was very close with and, and we, we worked exceptionally hard. We had a lot of fun. Uh, I'll be honest with you. We were not, we were not denied a good time. And sometimes I think some of the modern day athletes uh, is very serious and with social media tracking every, all their moves on and off the field. I just don't know if they're having the same amount of fun that we had. Uh, my, my only regrets are uh, that at times I wasn't a great teammate at, at times I was uh, ultra competitive to the point of not being a great teammate. And when I was a captain, I was, I was a lousy captain. So th th those are my regrets. And, you know, again, I, I've taken those into my life experiences now in the TV industry, where my my only goal when I show up to do a show as, as a member of a team, whether I'm a an analyst for lacrosse or reporter for football or wrestling, is is to be the best teammate I can be to to make the team better, and and that's my only focus. And again, that's based on what I view as a shortcoming when when I was a college athlete. Yeah, great lessons, and and again, so you graduate from college. You spent a brief amount of time in corporate America, and in 1993, you got hired on to work for ESPN. Your track record and your record at ESPN is amazing, the sports that you've covered. You've become the voice of lacrosse. I know as a young lacrosse family, we couldn't wait to watch you on television, although there were not many games on television in those days. You know, the, the sport has changed dramatically. But um, I have a couple questions about ESPN. What's the best sports venue that you ever – uh, went to uh, I'd have to put I mean I was at the Rose Bowl recently and that, that was pretty amazing uh, I've been to the Kentucky Derby that was is just such a memorable experience with the colors and the sounds and the sights uh, I think about any any NCAA wrestling or any NCAA championship whether it's wrestling hockey lacrosse you know a day that they're giving out a gold trophy a day where athletes have trained an entire lifetime to compete. Uh, to me, th those are the special days and the special places. Most dreaded interview that you've ever conducted. Uh, there's been a couple, there's been a couple. Uh, there was a, a horse racing show back in 2006. I forget the gentleman's name. He was an older gentleman. He didn't have great hearing. Uh, and he was not willing to work with me and, and uh, made my bad question uh, really bad. Uh, he, 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 he could have soothed, soothed it over, but he chose not to. Uh, and, and it was uh, pretty embarrassing. Yeah. It's amazing how that sticks with you. Story you most want to tell. You're a storyteller. Uh, story I most want to tell. I, I think now it's, it's, I'm finding it a little difficult in this modern age to really, uh, athletes are so protected. Um, uh, athletes want their story told or don't want them told. And, and, and it's, it's kind of tricky, you know, the print media, which we're used to rely on for, for nice leads into potential stories, doesn't, doesn't really have the same impact that they used to. So I find the only way that I can tell stories and find stories is to get to practice, to interact with the, with the, with the student athletes, to interact with the coaches. Uh, and from there, then you will learn uh, good, good stories. So it, it's, uh, it's very much become more, I, in my my uh, frame of mind, it's very much a uh, hands-on. Where in the past, the stories were ha were hand-fed to you. Uh, there's less of that nowadays. Interesting, interesting. 
Last of these questions, what's your current fitness regime? What's your routine look like? Uh, I, I try to work out every day, uh, which usually, and the days off will take care of themselves in terms of my travel usually, but it's a combination of uh, I'll run every third day. I'll do an upper body routine and a lower body routine, uh, an occasional yoga class, uh, mixed, mixed in for my flexibility of, of my hips and my knees and my lower back. But, uh, and my, my running will vary from anywhere up to five and a half miles to as little as three. And, and, uh, I've, tr I've tried to incorporate more speed work and more hill work recently. Uh, but, but pretty much every day I'm getting a good sweat in. Father time is undefeated, right? Yeah. Yeah. Father time is undefeated. And, and I found, I found seasonally and year by year, I've, I've got to adjust, uh, you know, building muscle after the age of 50 is difficult, but it's really important. Uh, the long runs while, uh, mentally beneficial uh you know will will pay the price in terms of your knees and your hips and your lower back so it's kind of finding finding that that uh, comfort zone and uh you know pushing it without hurting yourself because anytime you get injured or injured when you're older it takes a lot longer to heal yeah you're preaching to the choir here i totally get it let's get to 2024 the current state of athletics both college and high school our company, the Players NIL, is dedicated towards educating athletes about personal branding, marketing, and life skills that they can take. We try to tell people that NIL is not a four-year thing. It's a 40-year thing, and it's a great way to connect, especially in non-revenue sports, which you have such a deep background in. But with your experience you know, working in the football world, tell me what your current take is on name, image, and likeness and big-time college athletics. Wow. You know, this college football season, I did, I don't know, 15, 20 games. I got to cover Alabama and Michigan and Texas A&M, uh, Ole Miss, who's done really well with the portal and, and their NIL through the uh, Grove Collective, Arkansas, Coach Prime at Colorado. And, and I think the, the, the biggest uh, discussion topic that we talked about was NIL is NIL. But in combination with the portal, it's cre it's created uh, an environment that's just uh, completely new, seismic change, and the two don't really work together very well. If if be because one it opens up a Pandora's box, uh, and so NIL because of that has become a pay for play mechanism in college football, where Coach Prime says that you know, to land a decent walk-on is going to cost them $50,000, where Ohio State admitted that they're paying a high school athletes 5000 just to take a visit uh, on a college recruiting trip. And and where, uh, you know, the amount of money that it takes to garner a quarterback in the portal now is is upwards of of a million dollars. So it, this is a radical, radical change to to the college football landscape. Yeah, I, I like to tell people, because the news has sensationalized the stories that you just uh, expounded on, transfer portal, collectives paying people, pay for play, is not NIL, right? That is, that's yeah. really not, not what the intention and the original mission statement of uh, NIL was. And to me, NIL is for the everyday athlete. And we're focused on the 98% that don't have those opportunities. And God bless them for having those opportunities. You know, I'm happy for them. And revenue sharing is going to increase. I was at the Sports Business Journal Conference in December. Charlie Baker was the keynote speaker, the president of NCAA. He had just the day before released his vision 
for a brand new subdivision of big time college athletics. The proposed idea is to create perhaps a 60 team conference based on football primarily, and to have a couple of minimum requirements. One is that 50% of the athletes are involved in revenue sharing, and that that would be a minimum of $30,000. Where that ends up, I'm not sure. Let's talk about Olympic sports like wrestling and lacrosse. How do you see that affecting that? Well, if football's taken out of the equation, that could, that could, uh, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see how that impacts the title, the title nine implications. If football is taken out of the equation, could that hurt women's lacrosse specifically? Uh, many programs have been added to become title nine compliant at these school, these, these big schools that have, uh, you know, 88 scholarships going out to, to college football players. So, so I think that, that, that is, uh, that's a concern going forward. I, I spoke to Charlie myself in December. He was at the Celebration Bowl in, in Atlanta. Uh, he does. He has an unenviable job right now. I have a lot of respect for him, and I think he's going to do a f- fantastic job. But you, t- you talk about managing change and managing through uh, managing a, a, a business through complete change in environmental uh you know s- surroundings, and and I think that that's his his chore. Uh, so. I was impressed with him. I had met him before up in Boston during a uh, an old MLL game uh, for the Boston Cannons. Uh, but but I, d- I don't envy his assignment because it is extremely difficult. Yeah, I would say I agree. I, wouldn't, I don't think that's I think it's one of those jobs nobody wants. But in this conference, there were a lot of big-time SEC and Big Ten athletic directors. And to a person, they all praised him and, and, and applauded him for trying to take this on. Uh, I don't know where the subdivision – conversation is going to go. I do worry about the everyday athlete in Olympic level sports and whether those opportunities will be reduced or perhaps even increased. Uh, Title IX is an issue. Um, What's your take on Olympic athletes today, Olympic sport athletes today, the non-Power 5 revenue generating sports? What what is, you know, their commitment is no less. Their um, engagement is no less. Their end goal is not the same. How do you feel athletics still empowers athletes in college? Do you feel it still empowers athletes in college? I do. I th- I, I think the athlete experience has never been better for, for these Big Ten wrestlers and these ACC lacrosse players. <clears throat> the, 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 the academic opportunities that they're provided, the athletic opportunities that they're provided, weight room, diet, strength and, dish, strength and conditioning, uh, the, the the mental the mental health assistance that they're now provided I mean th- this is a different this is a great era to be a college athlete that they're being uh, they're they're really being shepherded through through their college experience with a lot more support than than prior generations so I think they're in a good spot I think the challenges for them are social media uh, I, I think it's a major distraction uh, to, to to anyone trying to accomplish something athletically. Uh, and and some some are able to uh, some are able to you know to to surf through those waters better than others. So, but but I, I think it is a good era to to be a college athlete. Uh, I I, th- I they've never been better. You know, I think technology has allowed. Like I learn more as a wrestler now, watching YouTube and watching uh, Instagram little little uh, teaching tidbits than I did in in my time as a high school wrestler. I, I can learn more right now. In ten minutes of surfing Instagram about a single leg takedown, 
than, than I learned in, in the 10 years that I wrestled. Uh, so technology has, has massive uh, advantages for athletes. And that, that's just a wrestling example. The same goes for hockey. The same goes for lacrosse. I know it's not your professional experience, but your personal experience is at the high school and club level. Uh, I think you say you have a daughter that's in high school now. How is NIL going to affect high school athletes or what are you hearing about that at this time? Well, I, I think my my entree into this area is through my agent, uh, a, a man by the name of Tony Agnon, who, who's been representing NFL players for 30 years. And uh, I, I met Tony at a, at a gym here in Baltimore years ago before in the early 90s when I was just starting in the business. And he was so kind and so generous with his time and his expertise. But. You know, here's a guy who used to go to the senior bowl week and go to the combine and 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 find clients. Well, now with NIL at the college level, the the high level college football player who's a, a freshman needs an agent to help him sort through the financials, the paying taxes, which which we'll we'll see how that goes. But paying taxes, the, the relationship building, the contract signing, uh. And now if it's if a college freshman has it, well, you know, in the recruiting process, they're getting the high school kids. So if you're an agent now, all of a sudden you, you're, you're trying to target sophomores in high school, juniors in high school with high ceilings who need your help, whose families need your help instead of, you know, back in the day when he was talking to 21, 22 year olds who, who, who appeared certain to be taken in, in the NFL draft or, or picked up as free agents. So, uh, I, I think it's it's uh, for for high end basketball and high end football players. All of those issues come come to the surface much much sooner now than they ever did. Yeah, life has changed since the streets of Levittown and Patchogue, Long Island, when we played rec sports and neighborhood sports. It's it's much more uh, in focus and much more public and much more pressure from agents, from college coaches, from family members. You know, it's a little bit scary right now. And you know, that's what we're here to do is to try and help educate people go through that. Uh, we're going to wind down here. When you've been a great guest, I really appreciate it. But a little prognostication on this year's lacrosse season. We have to talk a little bit about this year's college season. Seems like it's as competitive as it's ever been. Yeah, you know, uh, it is interesting. we got 76 teams now playing D1 lacrosse, which is a massive list. I actually put it out on my phone, and I was thinking about doing something for each of the teams. 76 teams, it's incredible. Uh, what stands out to me, and, and I wrote about it on uh, laxallstars.com this week and then next week, the top three seem like there, there's some separation there right now with Duke, Virginia, and Notre Dame. Notre Dame, the defending champs. Duke probably has the best roster in the game right now, and I would I would rate them as a strong favorite. And then Virginia, having won the, the two championships in, what, 19 and 21, prior to Maryland winning in 22, they appear strong. So they're, they're to me, they're, they're the top tier. The chasing pack is big, and it's capable. Syracuse is one of them. Maryland is one of them. Johns Hopkins returns their top 11 scores. Penn State returns their major players from last year. Army, who made the quarterfinals, has, has a great team. So I would say uh, them and maybe even Cornell with C.J. Kirst coming back. That would be the next tier. But that third-tier team, a team that can make the tournament, a team that can maybe win a game or two in the NCAA tournament, has never been larger. And you're talking about teams like Denver, Georgetown, North Carolina, uh, just a massive group of teams, 30 teams. So where college lacrosse has changed, 
is we've always had the, 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 the pinnacle and the teams up at the top, but that middle tier, the middle tier was never as deep, you know, teams you could rank right now, let's say 16 through 35 are all capable of beating teams one through 10. And that was never the case when I played. It was never the case in the nineties. It was never the case in the early two thousands, but, but team 22 can jump up and beat the third ranked team in the country. Uh, and, and that's what makes college lacrosse to me such a compelling product now uh, is how good those teams from 15 to 35 have become. Well, the sport's growing. And what I've noticed is, you know, you see these uh, lacrosse athletes that are choosing to play big time football or basketball in college now, uh, AKA the, the, the quarterback from Alabama that's going back to Notre Dame. It just tells you that the level of athlete has increased, right? We know the geography is spread out across the country. Last quick question. What's the impact of the Olympics on the sport of lacrosse? Uh, we'll see. I think the biggest impact in the Olympics is going to be internationally, believe it or not, where, where those, those nations, uh, and I've had some discussions with the folks at, from, from Kenya uh, that I met last summer in San Diego. But if, if you have Olympic certification of lacrosse, that means that, the lacrosse association in England, in Switzerland, let's say in Ireland, in Kenya, in Japan, they can now go to their government and get funding because their government's saying, Oh, this is an Olympic sport. Well, here's 10,000, here's $20,000, here's $50,000 for rec leagues, for yearly tournaments, for training and development of your coaches to import some American players to help, uh, help our program. So I think Olympic certification benefits international across dramatically in the uh, uh, potential fundraising uh, and and raised respect of the sport in, in places like Australia, New Zealand, as, as I was saying, Japan as well. That's a great point. I hope it comes true. Quinn, you've been on my list of uh, candidates for podcast guests for a long time. I respect your professionalism. I respect your opinion. I think you come from a really grounded base of understanding what sports is all about. And I want to thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to get the season started. I got one more non-lacrosse assignment. I'm going to the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama, the last week in January. And then uh, my first game is the uh, first weekend in February. That's uh, scary. Uh, Denver and Hopkins. Uh, and I got five games in the month of February, which was always a winter month. You know, we didn't start our practices until February. Now teams are playing five and six games in February. So I'm excited. Uh, uh, always a little nervous to start a new season. Never know what to expect, but uh, looking forward to it. So thank you. Thank you for having me on and, and uh, good luck with your podcast. Great. Thank you very much.